Well, good morning, South Potomac. Great to see you this morning. We're in the series called Courageous. Before we open the scriptures to that, I just want to give you one more shout out. Next Sunday is uh, Baptism Sunday. It's a Sunday that those who've trusted Christ as uh, personal Lord and Savior, Matthew 28, Jesus said, once you've trusted the Lord, you need to go forward in your, in your public identity with Christ in the waters of baptism. And next Sunday, we'll be baptizing people. If you've never been baptized, but you are a believer, which, by the way, the book of Acts knows nothing about. People who got, came to Christ went to the water, got baptized. So they knew what it was like. So, so don't think, oh, well, I can do without. No, you'll get to heaven and wish you'd done it. So if, if that's your desire, use the connection card right now. Just write down, I need to get baptized. And when we take the offering at the end, you can drop it in the plate. We'll get a hold of you this week. Let us know. Give us a phone number, email. Only give me a good email this time, okay? How many of you have trash emails you never check? Yes, honest moment here. Yes, okay, that's all right. Give me a good email. We'll get in contact with you this week for baptism next week. All right, Courageous is the study. And um, we're in Joshua chapter 3 today. This is a, uh, every week that I, that I go to the new uh, section, I go, oh, this is going to be my favorite. And this is, again, it's my favorite again. Because we all want to live courageous lives, so let's ask God to help us do that together. Thank you, Lord, now for the word that we hold in our hands, and now may we hold it well in our hearts. May it change us to make us different people as we leave here today. May we know, Lord, that, that uh, you are courageous for us, and Christ in us not only gives us hope, but gives us a new kind of courage. Uh, we thank you for the story of Joshua and how you've preserved it through the ages. May we learn the lessons well. We pray in Christ's name. The church says, amen. amen. So we all want our lives to be courageous. We all want to arrive in heaven, right? And when we arrive, we all want to arrive in heaven, right? Okay, some of us. We all want to arrive in heaven, right? Yeah, you want to show up in heaven because the alternative isn't good, right? Yes, that's right. I, I once heard a woman speaking at a woman's conference. I happened to get it out of a DVD. I wasn't at the conference. I didn't like sneak in. But I think it was Patsy Claremont. It says, I love being a woman. Sure beats the alternative. Okay, that was your opportunity, ladies, to respond. But you didn't do it. So, so when I, guys, I give you a point next. You know, you, you charge on. Going to heaven is a wonderful thing. But you want to arrive in heaven with a story of a courageous kind of faith, of how you stood for the Lord. You all want to have, and I want to have in me, uh, some victorious moment, some challenging, courageous, stellar discipline, greater faith, greater love, devoted love. We all want moments of great victory. Now here's the problem. We don't want to be scared out of our wits. We all want the victory. We just don't want to be scared. And, and there lies the challenge of being a courageous kind of Christian because of all people in the world, Christians ultimately are the victors. And so we can be safely courageous, knowing that ultimately we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, someone who helps us through thick and thin, and a friend who will be with us for life, and it's Christ himself and the person of the Holy Spirit within us. Something within us, though, rises that challenges us, that makes us wither at the challenge, makes us whine, makes us see ourselves as victims instead of victors. Have you ever see yourself as a victim instead of a victor? The, the issue to that is get back into the word and ask the Lord, transform my thinking, God, because that's especially true when you're taking back lost ground. If you've ever lost ground on something and you want to take it back, it's excessively hard, whether it's 
whether you're growing in the discipline of, of the grace of God, in, in, in the disciplines of knowing the Lord better, or maybe it's in physical uh, in the physical realm or mental, you're growing mentally or emotionally. Those, taking back that ground is difficult. And the Lord wants us to do wonder, wondrous things for us and in us. I think that that's the takeaway from this message. The Lord is going to do incredible things. We just want to be there to see it and to be a part of it. He wants to do that for Israel, which is our story, for God's people, the children of God, we call them, or the children of Israel. But but he also wants to do that for us. Now, so far in our journey, we are in uh, Joshua chapter 3. Uh, what we've learned from the Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is that God's people were in slavery. They escaped that, crossed the, the sea, and then wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their own lack of obedience and faith to the Lord. So the Lord has to kill off a whole generation of people, and they wander for 40 years. And, and they may make a trip takes 40 years. It could take a week or two. Have you ever been on a trip that took longer than it should have? Oh, yeah. Have you ever gotten off on the wrong exit, can't get back on? Yeah. That was the children of Israel for 40 years. Can't imagine that. Yeah. And so what happens is they finally are at this point where they're going to go into this land God has promised. And if you have a map in the back of your Bible, what you're going to find is this country of Israel kind of goes north and south. It's taller than it is wide. And at the north end of that country... Is a, is a sea of Galilee, and Jesus will teach from that sea oftentimes. There'll be a river that runs south out of that sea. That river is called the Jordan River, and at the bottom of that river is called the Dead Sea, sometimes called the Salt Sea, or they call it the Arabah Sea. And the reason they call it different names different times, you know, we, we, we called um, Ohio years ago the Far West, right? I mean, it was, it was the western rugged region. Eventually, we called Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Louisiana Purchase. We still call Ohio the Wild West, don't we? No, we don't. It changes names over the years as the country develops. Okay? That's what happens with that sea. So sometimes you'll read it in the Bible, and it'll say the Dead Sea. Other times it's the Salt Sea. It's the same sea. The reason it's a Dead Sea is because it has salt in it. The reason it has salt is because it has nowhere for the water to go. Therefore, everything that goes just ends there. If you're, by the way, it's a great picture of your life. If everything about your life is about stuff you take in, but you never live it out, that, that's, a dead, that's a dead being. The dead sea is that dead sea. Fish can't live in that sea. Do you know why? It's too salty. It never, it never gives back to um, the, uh, the environment. Because it doesn't give back, uh, it just dies right in the, in the lake. You don't want your life to be that way. Well, that's the, kind of the geography of that land. Galilee this river, and they're on the east side of the river, they're going to cross the river, go into the promised land. Now, how do we get this ground in our lives, how do we get that ground back? How do we take back the ground that we've lost? And, and before we plow into this story, let me just tell you this, it's just good to pause and, and realize, all of us have lost ground somewhere in our lives, and this isn't just about the children of Israel, this is about you and me, and how they got their ground back, and how we can get our ground back as well. Having said that, stage one is consecration. Consecration. As the people of Israel are about to cross the river and go into this land, Joshua did not call them, get this, Joshua did not call them to sharpen their swords, or to, to lengthen their swords, or to sharpen their swords, or to shine their shields. He called them to clean their hearts. 
I hope you get this. Chapter three, verse five. Joshua told the people, not sharpen your swords, consecrate. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord, here it is, will do amazing things. Other translations say wonderful, wondrous things among you. Not just you'll, you'll see it, but you'll will be among you. You'll be in the midst of the wonderful, awesome, amazing things. But that's not going to happen unless you consecrate yourself. Now, what is consecration? In that day, it meant <clears throat> washing the clothes, taking a bath. It was a time of confession. It was personal searching and inventory. And why do this? Well, because God is up to something very, very important, and he doesn't want you to miss out on it. You see, being set apart is the primary call. Not getting ready for the battle, but getting ready in your heart. That's the primary call. Being set apart, God calls us to a life of holiness, a purity of life. And holiness is likened to that of the work of a surgeon. The surgeon doesn't do great stuff, doesn't do great work, until first he's clean. And then his instruments have to be clean. You get this? You don't want a phenomenal surgeon doing great surgery on you with contaminated instruments. That would be no good. You would still, uh, that surgery would still fail, no matter how good the surgery is. Holiness calls out the pollution, the defilement, and the sin of our lives. And, and, and it is with us, we have to decontaminate, detox our hearts. As I was working on this passage, I couldn't help but think of, of the uh, 1850s songwriter. Uh, this girl grew up in England, and she writes in very poetic form this passage. And Frances Havergal writes these words, listen to them. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow from endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite with I would I would hold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, Francis really gets it, doesn't she? Take my love, my Lord, I pour, at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. That, my friends, is consecration. We cannot expect to take back enemy territory, the enemies coming in our lives. We cannot expect to make forward progress in the Christian life if we are not willing to first live a holy life. Be hard on yourself, because perhaps God is up to something incredibly great. He's going to do wondrous things. Uh, chapter 3, verse 5. But you may not see them. You may not get it because you're going to miss out on it. Get this. They don't know what God is going to do. They just know they want to be a part of it. They don't know that, that God's going to part the sea. They don't know that God's going to knock down Jericho. They don't know these stories. We know them because we're living on this side of them. But they don't know what he's going to do. That's one of the things I love about uh, the greatest generation. And they're dying off now 
but I'll hear this story of a guy, and they'll say, I was in Germany, I lived in Italy during uh, World War II, and, and, but you know what they speak when they speak of the war? They didn't know we were going to win. I only know the war from having been victors of it. We, I've only known it as victors. And they say, yeah, I, and I ask, do you ever want to go back to Italy in a, a World War II vet? I said, no, why would I do that? I lived in a hole in the mud for a year in Italy. I don't want to go back to Italy. I said, yeah, but we were victorious. He goes, yeah, but at the time, I didn't know it. You know, we, we didn't know. These people don't know what God's going to do, but they know he's going to do something, so our hearts have to be holy so we don't miss out. I mean, it begins not with our swords. It begins with our hearts. And God could move around in, in this place and work in our lives, and you could miss it. And it'd be easy to miss God's advancements because of our sin or our preoccupation, even because of our self-centeredness. Get this. It, it even happens. Have you ever seen this before? I've seen nearly people get hit by cars like that. But you know what? This is the, this is the gosh awful part. Next. Look what he's missing. Look what he's missing. Why? Because he had to write a message to someone to say, he wanted provolone on his sandwich, not cheddar. Do you understand how, how we miss out on the incredible work God could be doing because we're involved in something so futile? It could be that God is at work in this church and you are missing out and the reason is because of your own consecration of heart, your own pollution, and sometimes... It, it, he puts us, I think he puts us in these insurmountable real, uh, kind of uh, situations because he wants us to trust him. He wants to purify our lives. He wants to see that when we are delivered, he, it is really God's doing. It's nothing that we could have done in and of our own strength. He, and then he wants us to have participation in it. So there is power in that purity. There is power in knowing I cannot do this. If anything good happens, number one, Consecration. Number two, obedience. Obedience. Now, what Joshua does is he says to the Israelites, we're going to participate in this. The way we're going to do is we're going to cross the river. Now, the word Jordan, that's the name of the river. The word Jordan actually means descender. Um, the old root. And the reason it means descender is this. The Sea of Galilee, as it heads towards the Dead Sea, it drops 1,000 feet. That's a big amount of elevation. Oftentimes, when you read the scriptures, people will say to me, well, they went up to Jerusalem. That means they went north. Well, that's north to us. because Up is north, right? Usually on a map. But in their day, up meant up in, in elevation. So they could have been going north, south, east, or west. It didn't really matter. They were going up a hill. They're going up a, a hill. And the word Jordan simply means descender. So it's from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, that river, the Jordan River, the Descender River now, is creating quite a flow. Why? Because there's a fair amount of drop. And that drop creates not just flow, but good stream. And it, as a good stream, now it's at flood stage. The stream is at fairly good current. And now it's even wider. Some say that that, that current could be as wide as a mile in some spots. Now, the reason is it would be wider at the plains. Obviously, we understand that. When the Mississippi overflows its banks, it, does, it goes to the lowest points along the Mississippi. It's just a natural flow of, uh, of, 
of a river. It just picks the lowest point and then floods that plain. But this river had to be moving at its best. You could not swim this river. The current would be too strong. Only the, the most secure person who has the best skill and isn't carrying equipment. These people are all having families. They have animals with them and they have luggage. It's not going to happen. So how are they going to obey the Lord? Chapter 3, verse 6. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Stop there. The Ark of the Covenant is a box. It's about this big, and it carries memento pieces of God's people. On top are there two angels, and the angels represent really the presence of the Holy One. So where this Ark of the Covenant was, this box, it had sticks like a pallbearer-type rods, and you didn't even touch the Ark. Those who touched the Ark tended to die. Okay, So you, t- you, you put a mental note down, don't ever touch the ark. Even if it's falling to the ground, don't catch it. A guy once tried to catch it and died. So they take this box very seriously. The priests line up. They all have a, a piece of this rod they're holding, and he says, now, go back to verse 6, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up, and they went ahead of them. Now, the, the scripture says elsewhere they went ahead several hundred yards. Some say as many as a thousand yards ahead. I think, frankly, they had to go far ahead because in order for people to see the ark was out in front of them, if, if they're only out by 10 feet, people, if the crowd is thousands wide, they can't see someone this far out. They've got to get way out in order for the trajectory, the angle, to be only 45 degrees. And, and what I think God wants to do is he wants all of the people of Israel to see what he's about to do. And so he moves the ark of the covenant with the priest probably 1,000 yards or so ahead. Now, He says, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, and they will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. In other words, you are going to be the leader, and at the end of this day, they're going to follow you. And and so he says, verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. You've got to be kidding me. I'm carrying a box. We're going to go into a river that's swift. It is flowing, it's flood stage. We don't know where the bottom is. We do know erosion's happening because of the river. And he says, go stand in the river. And they take off marching. I can't imagine. Stephen Davies, a radio speaker, author, pastor, he says, not a good day to be a priest. <laughs> you know, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, if I were a priest, this is the day I learned to pray. Because I'm holding a box that will sink me. If I touch it, I die. But if I don't start swimming, I, I drown. I mean, and we're headed towards the water, okay? Think about this. This is, a, this is a scary moment. We all, By the way, we all want to be courageous. We just don't want to be scared, okay? How many of you think the priests were scared? Yeah, I think they were scared. I think they were scared. And you would be too if you knew what was happening. Heroic people are not necessarily uh, not scared. They're scared. They just go ahead and do it anyway. And, and that, but that's the story you'll have in heaven, Okay? So the priests pick up the box, they begin to walk, and this suspense is building. Um, by the way, they're, they're going to a place they've never been before. They're, they're, they're crossing a river they've never seen. The only people who've seen this river have been Joshua and Caleb. This is totally new to them. It's like skiing down a mountain, but it's your first time down. So you don't know where, how fast you can go where. You don't know this mountain. It's like golfing a course you've never golfed before. It's all brand new. It, it's like uh, taking a test and you've never had that particular test before. None of them knew this river except Joshua and Caleb. And, 
And so they were off to this kind of new experience. This is all new to them. And even if, they, even if the priests could swim the river, the wives and children aren't, and the cattle aren't, and then you have these wagons of all the possessions. It's not going to work. So if ever you were to stop and say, hey, Joshua, let's think about this, this would be the time, but they don't. They march ahead and they put their feet into the river. And by the way, the miracle doesn't happen until you do your part. You do what you can do. God doesn't expect you to flee, to fly over, leap over buildings, but he does expect you to do what you can do. And so he says to the priest, march and march until your feet are in the river. And so they begin to walk and they walk with obedience because without obedience and a consecrated heart, you don't get lost ground back. Now, stop just for a moment and think about it. Most military campaigns, when you go to take out new territory, I don't know about you, but I've read a little bit about military campaigns. They don't send generals to the front all that often, do they? No. Do they? No. No. What do they send? They send privates. And then after people run out of ammunition, then the generals move up. Sorry if you're a general, but that's kind of the pace of this thing. We, f- we figure out where the ammunitions are, and then we send the next. When you're playing chess, even, you don't send a king or a queen, right, up to the front line to kind of scope out the turret. No, you send a pawn, Right? And you go, well, I have plenty of pawns. I could lose a few pawns. Well, what does God do in this particular case? Does he send the pawns or the privates? No. He sends the priests. You're saying priests or privates? No, I don't think so. I think they're at the top of the line in Israel's economy. But you see, it isn't the people taking over the land. I think there's symbolically something happening here. You know what it is? It is God is taking over the land It is the Ark of the Covenant that's taking over the land, and the priests are leading the way. This isn't the people leading and hoping God will catch up to them. No, this is God leading and God's people following. I hope you get that picture down, because this is not me saying, oh, I hope, God, you'll you'll bless what I do today. No, it's just the opposite. It is God leads, and then as God leads, we follow, not we lead and then God catches up to us. You know, that happens oftentimes in modern-day prayers, doesn't it? We go out and do something stupid, and then say, oh, I hope God can make something good out of this. <laughs> yeah. God in heaven's going, I told you not to do this. My word says don't. You know, your friends, your Christian friends say don't, but you go out and do it anyway. And you say, well, God will work out something good in the midst. Well, yeah, God will, because, because he's, he's in the miracle-working business, but you're, you're forcing his hand when you do that. So, all right, take a break from the the thought of this and think again, now you're a priest, you're headed towards the water, the water's coming up on your ankles. The the priests have the Ark of the Covenant in their hands. And I think, frankly, they, they even increased in faith. I think it was strangely quiet with them. It's just what I think. I... We have no evidence either way. They could have been talking or singing, but I think they were quiet, not being sure. But... But I do know this, when you think you're headed to death, you get right with God. I think the priests were consecrating again. I think they're saying, okay, I'm going to be obedient again. And you know what? Because they do that, thirdly, they get to see God work. That's the third stage. It's to simply watch what God does. Verse 14, so the people broke camp and to cross the Jordan. 
The priests carried the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests carried the Ark reached the uh, Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Get this, it's at flood stage and it stops flowing. Consecrated hearts that please the Lord, living in obedience, and now God does what is absolutely impossible. It begins to pile up, verse 16, in a great heap at a distance away to a town called Adam, which is about 16 miles north, in the vicinity of Zarethan. And the, uh, the water flow is flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, another word for the Dead Sea, and was completely cut off, so the people crossed opposite Jordan. Get this, the, the water, if, if, we were, if this were north, okay, the water's flowing, God's people step into the water. As they step into the water, the water stops back here. Now, it's flowing at such a rate, it's like a sink that's going to overflow, right, onto a counter, right? We'll headed towards the toaster, right? Towards the microwave, right? And, and it's just flowing. But, but we have a river that's a mile wide, bigger than your sink, more of a mess. So it's backing up, and it's some 15 miles to the city of Adam, and it's backing up, we think, maybe as far as 30 miles back up the river. Now, as it flows down to the Dead Sea, all this just flows away, and that ground, not only does it lose its water, but the ground actually becomes dry. It's another miracle we'll, we'll talk about next week. The ground actually becomes dry. And meanwhile, people in Adam, who are doing whatever it is that they do, all of a sudden they notice the river getting wider and wider and wider, and all of a sudden they're on the roofs of their houses screaming because there's a miracle downriver, but they don't know what it is. Okay? That's the story. Now, the demonstration is this. God is demonstrating his incredible power. He is announcing, I'm coming into the land, and he's doing it with authority. You gotta get this. He isn't coming into the, into the country saying, well, if you'll give us some room. No, he's saying, we're coming, move over. And he's declaring his blessing, not only on the country, the land, but on the people as he takes it. I hope you get this. He's announcing the blessing, saying, I am with these people, so you need to be with them. And that really is giving those people an opportunity to turn to the Lord. I hope you get this, because even still, people say God's not a God who's gracious in the Old Testament. He's gracious in the New, but not in the Old. That's not true. He's actually giving through a sign and a wonder right here. You have opportunity to turn to me if you choose to. He is patient and he extends grace to outsiders if only they will believe. If only they'll believe. And that leads to stage number four. We have consecration, then obedience, and then seeing God do his thing after we've done what we can do. Then he does what he does. And then we remember what he does. We don't ever forget. The end of the chapter, verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by. And the whole nation had completed the crossing on, what's it say, class? Dry ground. On dry ground. I have a lawn hose at home. Anybody else have a lawn hose? One time I was watering a plant. I, I, uh, I bought a tree for my wife. Don't tell her this, okay? I went to water the tree, turned the water on. 
got up about 5.30 the next morning to go get the newspaper. We had water everywhere in our yard, down the driveway. In fact, my neighbor across the street said, thanks for watering my lawn. I mean, it was just, it was everywhere. I had water everywhere. And it was, I, I had really great grass there for another 10 days in this scorch of summer. The trees survived. I mean, it was good. But it did not dry out quickly. I mean, it was spongy for a while. You, you, you ever had that? And that's a lawn hose. It's like that. I mean, it's quality lawn hose, three-quarter inch, not a river. Can you imagine crossing the river and it's dry? That in itself is a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle. It's a miracle that they cross, and it, you have to kind of visualize this. The guy's carrying the Ark of the Covenant now. Think of if we're crossing the Jordan River, and let's just suppose this auditorium is the Jordan, is Jordan River going this way. That's north, and it's floating. This is the width of the river. The guys get to the bottom of the river, and they're holding the Ark, and now they're saying to the children of Israel, okay, cross. Now people begin to cross. Can you imagine what that would have been like? If I had been a priest, I would be saying, hurry. Would you not? Yeah, don't dilly-dally. We don't know how long this miracle is going to last. Anybody else that way? I, mean, I would be that way, right? I, and, you know, here's the deal. You know, the Pope was in town this week. There were people, all, crowds are everywhere, and it was, it's a wonderful thing. If you love the Pope, if you don't, it was a traffic mess, you know, and it was a traffic mess in New York and Philadelphia and everywhere, but I, I was amazed at the, did you notice the evening news? The evening news was a, a collection of phones, people trying to get a selfie with the, with the Pope. You know, they're trying to get an angle with his Pope mobile. Is that what it's called? I mean, no disrespect. But it just, they're trying to get their head in with the Pope behind them, you know, which I find interesting. I would want to be next to the Pope or behind the Pope. I never want to be in front of the Pope. But, I mean, they're getting a selfie. Can you imagine if this were children of Israel today? We'd be crossing the Jordan River. Do you want people to be doing? Let's take a selfie. No, get across the river. You take a you take off on the other side. If I were if I were a if I were a priest, I say if you're not going to hurry, I'm leaving. You, you ever do this? We're leaving the store, kids. Now, you know, if I were a priest, that's just what I'd be doing. Now, I, can you imagine the holiness of that moment as you're crossing and you're seeing water pile up, and as it churns up, I mean, you've you've got to see rocks and weeds and probably fish, I mean, it's like salmon going to lay their eggs. I mean, they're, they're probably jumping the water to go back into the water because they, they don't want to go to the dry ground. And yet they look down towards the Dead Sea, and yet that's totally dry. And I, I imagine what kind of holy moment this was. I, I don't think they were taking selfies. I don't think they were stopping. I think they were walking, and they were saying, let's get through this now. I think it was a quiet, have you ever been in a moment that's a quiet, holy moment? If they did anything, I, I think they maybe would have sung an old hymn. We sang, only a God like you, only a God like you is worthy of my praise. I mean, you, you could just imagine if they decided to sing a chant, it might be God of wonders, and it might be what Ernest just played a little bit ago, only trust him. Oh my goodness, only trust him. I just can't imagine how hushed and how holy that moment would have been. But let me tell you, you don't get that moment unless you consecrate your life and you live obediently. And then you get to see God work. 
and then you can remember it, and that's what you'll take to heaven with you. Do you get this? That's what you'll take to heaven. Next week, we're going to pick this up. But in chapter 3, verse 17, the priests stop in the river. What Joshua's going to do is, as soon as they get across, they're going to say, okay, I need a guy from each tribe. There's 12 tribes. I need a guy from each tribe. And they need to be big and burly. They need to be strong. 12 guys. These guys line up now. Go back into the river, and each of you get a rock. And if you feel me again, I'm not going back into the river. It's scary. It might not hold. You know, you're not sacrificing 12 good guys. You know, I... I'd love to go, but I'm going to let you go instead, buddy. You know, just one of those kind of deals. No, no, no. Twelve guys go back into the river. They're each going to pick up a stone and put it on their shoulder. And this is next week. And then they're going to carry it out of the river, and they're, they're going to pile the rocks on the other side. And that 12-stone pile is going to be a memorial, because you need those in your life. We'll talk about that next week. Because if you, if you ever have been to this point where you say, uh, okay, I've given everything to the Lord and I'm obeying him to the best I can and, and God is working, you do have moments where you see an incredible power of God. You see his provision like nothing else. You have seen the creative handiwork of, of Almighty God because he provided for you in a way you didn't see coming. You see the patience of God and you see his grace towards not just you but towards outsiders. And if you've ever wondered about the goodness and grace of God, that day it gets settled because you consecrated your life, you lived obediently, you got to see God work, and now you carry with you the memory. And that's what you'll take to heaven. You won't take your house and car and boat, job, nothing else. What you'll take is a reward of how you followed the Lord in faith. And that's where the transferable concepts come across today. I just I want to close with some questions, and these are questions for small group this week too. Question number one, stage one, consecration. What's, hold, what's holding out? What is it that demands my loyalty? What, what is it that is first above the Lord? Or do I even have God-fearing moments? Do I even have those? Great question. And the backside of that question is this. Am I willing to give up? Am I willing to give up God moments because I'm preoccupied? Okay? Am I willing to give up God moments because I am preoccupied checking my messages? Or is everything in my prayer about me? Is it about my schedule, my needs, my desires? When do, I, when do I say to God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Stage two, obedience. Am I walking in obedience to what I know God says? Am I? Be deathly honest with yourself. Here's another great question, and this is one I, I got from Francis Chan, wonderful Bible teacher, written some great material. But he said, if God said it, would you do it? I mean, regardless of what it is. But if God said it, if he said, stand on your head, it's Francis, only Francis could ask that question. If he said, stand on your head, would you do it, even though it didn't make sense? Would you do it regardless if others did it or not? That's the true test of obedience. 
You see, here's the deal, and this happens particularly with us, is that we are masters at deflection. Hear my words carefully. We, we retaliate, we smack back with a comment, only to deflect what we know we're guilty of. So we have trouble admitting that we're wrong, thinking that, that admitting that we're wrong is an admission that we are somehow weak, when in reality we all are weak, but admitting that you're wrong really is admitting that you're human and that you're willing to change. And that's the contrite heart the Lord is looking for. And our society and our culture curves you away from ever admitting that you're wrong. Always reposture the wording. Always say, oh, I was misunderstood, or whatever you want to say. The question is, am I really obedient? Thirdly, it's to watch God work. Am I really preoccupied? Am I seeing what I am seeing, and, and what is it that I'm looking for? Am I looking for God events? Because God is actively involved in the affairs of this world. It's just a matter of whether or not I'm aware of them or not. And then finally, stage four, it's remembering God's faithfulness. Am I remembering, in other words, am I passing this story of faith along? Do I really celebrate the wins? Does the story of God's faithfulness come out of me? Are you remembering God's faithfulness like the priest who stayed in the river? If that was your assignment, would you have done it? Would you faithfully remember God, or would you be more concerned about your own skin trying to run through the river? Could you be counted on staying at the post, your assigned time? I'm going to give you just a moment, because these are convicting, are they not? They are for me. I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and uh, for you to say, okay, God, I need to do business on this one this week. If you're in small group, I'm going to encourage you to come back to these four things this week. Consecration, obedience, seeing God work, celebrating his faithfulness, remembering his faithfulness. Let's bow our heads, and I, you may close your eyes. You, you may keep them open. You may need to keep your eyes open and write a few notes. Notes to yourself about mm, your own commitment to Christ. In the midst of this, you're, you're recognizing this is where I hold out. That's an area of needed accountability. My obedience is only partial. I only obey the things I like to obey. And if you'll be honest with yourself, there's your first step towards obedience. Maybe God is actively involved in things around you, but you don't see it because you don't stop to worship him. You're preoccupied. Or you don't really believe he's in the miracle working business. And maybe for you it's just, you've been doing all that, but you don't really stop and pause and remember God really is faithful. And because of that, you get weary. Because you don't celebrate the wins, you get weary. Because you've been faithfully consecrated to the Lord, but you don't stop and see his faithfulness over time. 
And that's just simply taking a Sabbath where you just stop and pause and remember. Some of us in the room, uh, you're ready to trust the Lord. You've never done that. But the best thing I can tell you right here where you're seated is if you've never trusted Christ, right where you're seated, just tell the Lord, dear God in heaven, I, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need Christ. And I, I need the Savior to save me of my sin, to wash my heart right. Because I cannot do this. If you'll open your heart today to the Lord, he promises he'll save you. And uh, he'll prepare a home for you in heaven. And he's willing to do that if you'll come to him today in faith. And now, dear Father, for those who are trusting Christ for the very first time, for others who are making steps to gain ground back that's been lost, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that you don't ever, ever give up on us. May we be, we pray, uh, joyful, uh, Christ-honoring, grace-giving uh, kind of Christians who follow you in a magnificent way. And may we live to your glory, we pray in Christ's wonderful name. The church says, amen.